Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I'll be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, we'll get to the news soon, but I am pumped. How are you? Oh, dude, so hyped. I mean, obviously, whenever I texted you this morning that news, I was like, yes, finally, finally, finally. And what is that news? People listening probably already know. But yeah, you're right. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, in, in the meantime, though, Caleb, I want to cover some 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 business, if you will, uh, outside of Penn State and Big Ten football. And I want to start by looking at my home state right now, Virginia. Uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech slated to play but they're, this year again, but their uh, game got postponed because Virginia Tech had some pretty significant COVID issues. Now, I can say that uh, across the state, we're, we're starting to see some pop up in, in a lot of university-type areas. James Madison University, I think I mentioned before, over 500 cases. They're a D2 powerhouse school. Basically sent everybody home because of it. Now we're seeing a D1 game right here that's been pretty hitty been hit pretty hard by a uh, COVID-19 relating to it being delayed. And they said postpone, but the last I heard was that they are also thinking it may just get canceled for the year. Um, they are trying to work around that, that lack of game time by moving Duke versus Virginia up. But Caleb, not a good start for uh not, not a good start right now for these two teams already having to plan on canceling a game. Yeah, I mean, the ACC threw in a by an extra. I think they have two bye weeks in their schedule planned for right now because they got off to this earlier start earlier, at least than the SEC um, with the conferences that are starting early. So, you know, that gives them a little more wiggle room, hopefully, to get this game in. But, yeah, not a good start. We saw last week with three of the Big 12 games having to get postponed for their opening weekend. Now we're seeing it here with Virginia and Virginia Tech. I don't think Virginia played last week either. So that's why they're probably moving this Duke versus Virginia game up there. So Virginia can finally get in some action before, you know, if they're going into like week four with no games played. Yeah. And it's just interesting, you know, the NFL starting this past week, not really any COVID issues for them. I think part of the reason behind this is just like the college experience is so different just being like a student in college that it's going to be much harder to mitigate a lot of these things, which is one of the things that has me concerned, you know, along similar threads, army versus BYU gets postponed because BYU has COVID issues as well. What needs to happen, Caleb, do you think so that we can just like get it under control and and be able to move on with the season? You know, and it's, it might be unfair, but maybe you just let the football players on campus, you know, have everyone else do mm. virtual learning. So you just limit the number of people on campus. You know, right now, I don't really think any other sports are going on, unfortunately. Um, you know, they don't bring in as much money as football does. So that's the main reasoning behind there. So, you know, maybe you just let the football players on campus, you know, hopefully they're doing their schoolwork during the day and then get to football practice in the afternoon. And, you know, with then just having, you know, a couple, you know, maybe 200 people on campus instead of thousands that are still probably at some of these campuses, that'll lower the risk and lower the chances of this, of games being postponed. Yeah, that's one option. And and I think too, for, for me, if you are exposing yourself by going to one of these big gatherings, big parties, I personally feel like if you're making that selfish choice, 
there should be consequences because you are turning your back on your team. And so I'm even wondering if just with more significant discipline things in place, can that resolve the issue? The NBA has done something similar to it with uh, their looks at fines and things of that nature, but we'll see how that would work at the, or I guess we won't see, but I'd be interested to see how it would look at the collegiate level. Now, uh, Caleb, outside of COVID, we got a couple opt-outs here. You want to start by talking about Ohio State's? Yeah, their top cornerback, Sean Wade, has opted out of the season. This was before the big news today, so we'll see if he decides to change his mind at all. He is a potential top 10 pick in 2021. Ohio State is a you know a defensive back machine, producing talent in the NFL. We saw it with Jeff Okuda being a top five pick last year. I think, though, he missed the Lions' first game. With a, with a hamstring injury or something like that, unfortunately. But, yeah, uh, um, Ohio State's definitely up there with the likes of Alabama and LSU at producing the best cornerbacks to the NFL, and it seems like another one's going this year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be – I'd almost say it's going to be a loss for the program, but really it's just going to be a kind of hiccup for them because you're right, they have a lot of depth there. Uh, one position that doesn't seem to have as much depth is at Michigan – their quarterback position, Dylan McCaffrey, brother of Christian McCaffrey, is opting out and is planning on transferring. Now, this is news that was pretty surprising to me, and I wasn't really sure uh, the reasoning for his transfer. Caleb, you may have more details on this, but he has two more years left that he can that he can play that he's eligible. Yeah, I'm not sure why he's doing it, but um, you know, obviously he doesn't like his time at Michigan, and he. He's had his chances there, you know, Shea Patterson. I think he's been injured a couple of times, but um, so has Dylan McCaffrey, so he hasn't got a full run at a starter at quarterback. It seemed like he would have the clear option this time, you know. The, his, his, um, the people he was fighting against were redshirt sophomore Joe Milton and redshirt freshman Cade McNamara. Those guys have a combined 11 passing attempts in their college history, than their collegiate history, so you would think McCaffrey would have a leg up, but maybe, you know, from camp, you know, they were still um, practicing here and there, not quite as much as you would during the normal season, but maybe he felt like he wasn't going to be their starting quarterback and just, you know, try, he's going to try his luck somewhere else. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see what his transfer situation looks like. Like, is he going to try to be like brother and go to Stanford or, you know, what's the plan going to be there? John Harbaugh, the oh, or she's John, Jim Harbaugh. This is going to be a uh, another loss for him. Now, this isn't a loss of a Michigan recruit. But it like from the state, but it is a loss of a, of a starting player. So that's going to be, I mean, that's just got to be tough for him from a coaching standpoint. It has to be tough for the administration, seeing this kind of stuff continuing to happen. I'm, you know what though, Caleb? As I say this, I'm almost wondering if it's because Governor Whitmer of Michigan has shut down so much of the state. Maybe there's a fear for him that he wouldn't be able to play, and so he's thinking if I go transfer, I don't know. It's a it's a mess, you know. Wear your mask, get your get your flu shot, and uh, you know let's get out of this stuff. You know what I'm you know what I mean, Caleb? <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah. All right, you ready to talk some big news? Big news. Big big news. I mean, holy cow, Caleb! So, well, I mean, we've obviously heard the rumblings for like the last couple weeks, but then you and I have been kind of texting back and forth from what was it Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, since like Sunday, waiting for a decision. And we saw a lot of people posting on Twitter about that decision. And, Kelby, you want to share the good news? Big Ten football is back, baby. Big Ten football's back! 
Yeah, great news. Now, Caleb, they're looking right now at a different start date. They were they're going back and forth with some ideas. Can you kind of give us the rundown of what we can expect to see from Big Ten football this year? Yeah, so we're expected to return the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. That's a Friday, Saturday there um, when Penn State or when the Big Ten did their 10-game schedule back in August before they shut down. There were, there were a couple Friday games on the schedule, so I'm guessing we'll see a Friday game there. Uh, we've seen rumors swirling around. There's no official schedule yet out that I've seen from the Big Ten as of this recording. But the rumor is that Penn State and Ohio State may be playing on opening weekend, you know, a.k.a. October 24th. So get right into the meat of the schedule there for Penn State and Ohio State, both of those. And overall, it would be nine games in nine weeks with the championship game being played on December 19th. Right now, the final college football playoff rankings are scheduled to be dis- December 20th. So, you know, as of right now, you got to get your championship game in there on the 19th by the 19th. If you want to, if the college football playoff committee decides to stay with the 20th as their final rankings and the final week of the season, not only are we going to get the championship game on the 19th, every team is going to play on that day. Number two in the East will play number two in the West. Number three in the East will play number three in the West and so on and so forth just to get everyone that ninth game in and, you know, maybe help with your rankings, help you get a better bowl game if you can win that final week, obviously. And I love I love that, that we're going to see some more interdivision, you know, ideally evenly matched teams competing there. Uh, I won't deny I'm a – I'm a little nervous about us opening up against Ohio State potentially. I mean, it was going to be a bummer either way because the game's in Happy Valley this year, but we won't have the fans there. Uh, But, you know, Big Ten football's back, and this is what we've been hoping for. There was talk about spring football, and and that was all fine and dandy, but it's a tough wait. And, you know, we just saw the new AP poll rankings, and it's just weird not seeing any Big Ten teams in there. So we're going to get Big Big Ten teams Back in that poll, uh, I was listening and, and watching ESPN, and, and they were talking about this too, trying to figure out how is the college football playoff committee going to justify which teams make it to the semifinals? Because there are a lot of teams out there that are going to be playing abbreviated schedules. And with COVID outbreaks, it could lead to like some schools playing, who knows, like five games. Well, if you only play five games, but you're typically a perennial powerhouse, does that get you in the playoffs or what? Um Fortunately for us, we'll hopefully be able to get all nine of these games in. I like the fact that we're going to go nine weeks straight. Um, you know, I, while I, I typically like seeing a bye week in there somewhere, I think considering how late we're starting the season, this will be a way exactly like what you were saying earlier, Caleb, to keep our conference competitive in the bigger picture. So uh, I like that. I like the decision being made unanimous, a total, uh, a total flip, if you will compared to August where the vote was 11 to three. And I can't remember which doctor it was from Ohio state, but it sounds like he was one of the driving forces supporting the program starting up in a safe way. And part of that came with rapid testing. And there are a lot of different, um, a lot of different procedures going in place for this. We have student athletes, coaches, trainers, everybody doing daily testings, uh, every university will have a chief infection officer to oversee this test and make sure it's going well. If a player is testing positive, they cannot compete for at least 21 days. And so right there off the bat, kill, I'm seeing a lot of steps being made to allow us to have football, but also not sacrificing safety um, either. I, I mean, I really like the plan that we're seeing so far. How about you? 
Yeah, the uh, this chief infection officer, I think, is a good plan to have for each university. Hopefully, they're all truthful with what they're doing with their testing. They have to report these numbers. So something, you know, like we heard from Ed Ogeron a couple of days ago, you know, he said, oh, our whole team has probably had it at some point. But other than that, you know, we, we haven't really been hearing too many numbers from a lot of the universities that are playing football right now, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12. So something like this coming from the Big 10, trying to be a leader in something like this, maybe that hopefully this will allow for more transparency and show show maybe the other conferences and the Pac-12 if they eventually return how to return hopefully safely and yeah this is a big detriment if you get if you test positive you know no competition for at least 21 days you know three that's three weeks so that's three of the nine weeks that's one third of the season at least that you're missing right there for testing positive so i mean yeah you obviously that that right there should be the detriment for or deterrent for players uh, for student athletes to go out partying over the weekend or during the weeknights and hopefully not contract COVID so they don't have to miss at least three weeks of the season. Exactly. Now, Kel, there's also a lot of different uh, ways that positivity is being tracked in the Big Ten. And you know, I think you probably have a better grasp on this than I do. Can you kind of break it down for us? Yeah, so there's a green, orange, and red level to two different types of positivity rates. The first one they're calling the team positivity rate. This is the total number of positive tests divided by the total number of tests administered during these are during seven day uh, seven day totals. Second one here is population positivity rate. So this is the total number of positive individuals divided by the total population. So in truth, I wouldn't think these should be too different if every player and coach is getting tested every day, but, you know, they have them separated here. Maybe they're including players or that they're including students who are on campus that are also getting tested but are not part of the football team. You know, they're on campus for other reasons on that. So as I said, there's three levels, green, orange, and red. If you both are green or if one is green and one is orange, your team is allowed to continue as normal. If both levels are orange or one is orange and one is red, you have to proceed with caution and enhance your COVID-19 prevention efforts. And finally, if both are red, you must stop practicing or competing for at least seven days. So, you know, we need both to get into that red level for the teams to be able to not compete for that weekend, which would, you know, that's when you start getting into, you know, teams instead of playing nine games where they're only playing eight, seven, or even less games if, they, you know, this is something that continues that they're both in the red for far too long. Yeah, and and I'm wondering too with those positivity rates. So I'm, I'm thinking right now that it might be then, you know, like if, if this is being measured over the course of a week, a team positivity rate, one player maybe like maybe gets a positive test like five days, maybe like he picks it up halfway through the week and then, um, you know, he just goes in under the positive individual. Yeah. I'm curious about how that's broken down and I'm very glad I don't have to make those sort of medical decisions and I can just, you know, sit here and, uh, you know, WebMD a lot of these things. Um, Big 10 teams, like you said, are going to be eligible for the AP poll. Once the schedule is announced, I'm, assuming that we aren't too, too far away from that. I'm, I'm kind of thinking we're going to get something before the end of the week. Um, but, you know, who knows? It may take a little bit longer than that. We still don't have any Pac-12 football, Caleb. And you know, the announcements made so far, what are, what are you thinking they're leaning toward right now? 
Yeah, so from what I've been reading, you know, on Twitter and whatnot, is that a mid-November start is the earliest possible start date for Pac-12. Part of this is due to state regulations in California and Oregon, which are homes to six out of the 12 Pac-12 teams. So that makes it real tough for them to get around those. You know, there's four teams in California, two in Oregon. Teams are obviously in the NFL getting away with this. You know, the Rams, Chargers, um, 49ers, they're all playing football just fine. So, you know, maybe they can make an exemption for college football if they're making an exemption for the NFL, but doesn't seem like it's likely at this time. They already have a deal in place for this daily rapid testing. So once they are given the green light to go, you would think they'd be able to start doing this, uh, you know, as soon as they're realistically as possible. But at this point, you know, if if you're not starting until mid-November at the earliest, I would think that the college football playoff is basically impossible for the Big 12 or the Pac-12 to make this season. Which is a shame because Oregon was one of those schools that probably could have made a run. Um, at, and I mean, Slavis at USC, depending on what kind of a, a season he had, could definitely lead the Trojans to doing something like that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's looking like if they can't play the games now, it's going to basically be impossible. I did see Slavis and uh, some other players from out in California in the West Coast trying to advocate on social media, calling out to their their governors, asking them to reconsider. And, you know, Caleb, I'll keep saying it until I turn blue in the face. If we can do it safely, great. And it sounds like they have a system in place, like they've planned for it to do it safely. So it's like, I'm not, I'm, I feel like let the kids play. The The adults have gone in and, and come up with a good system, a good way to track it. Mitigation, the main way that you mitigate is by tracking. So this daily, this daily testing will allow schools to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But I am uh, thinking it's going to be a little bit late. And I... I what I've been seeing on social media doesn't make me think Pac-12 is going to go in and change their decision. Um, unfortunate for the players that were hoping for a uh, bigger end to their to their season. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, as we said, these states, California, Oregon, and even into Washington, they're dealing with all those wildfires right now. So air quality would be another concern that the Pac-12 schools have to deal with sure. if they do come back. You know, in the in the future, in the near future, kind of like the Big Ten is, but. Maybe by November, those wildfires will be less impactful than they are now, and they'll be able to play without any um, air quality restrictions, too. Yeah, that's uh, that's been scary, too. I mean, we're, we're seeing the effects out here on the East Coast. I, I drive to work, and I look up at the sun. I'm like, this is crazy that the sun looks like this mm-hmm. because of the smoke. But uh, yeah. uh, what else was crazy, Caleb, is we had some very well, – man, that was a really awkward transition. Let me just go back and say um, – we had a very interesting, I guess, sort of first week of college football that I want to look into here. And um, not a lot of like, I mean, obviously none of these games were the games that, you know, you're going to uh, turn on and and really like get hyped up for unless you play for one of the underdog schools. But we did see some pretty good upsets at least. Yeah, especially I felt like the early window, the noon Eastern window, was a really good, you know, I could flip back and forth between three, four, five different games, and they were all close, you know, upsets brewing. And that started off with Louisiana upsetting number 23, Iowa State 
31 to 14. They were 13 point underdogs coming into this game. Um, after this game, Louisiana was ranked for the first time since November of 1943. So yeah, that's 77 Ooh. years since Louisiana was ranked. I don't even think they were the Louisiana Raging Cajuns back then. They were some other. They were going by some other name. And Louisiana was led by their special teams. Chris Smith had a 95-yard kickoff return touchdown, while Eric Guerrero had an 83-yard punt return touchdown. And uh, pretty disappointing here from Brock Purdy. He went 16 for 35, so under 50%, only 145 yards passing, zero touchdowns and one interception, you know. Brock Purdy's back. He's been a pretty good Big 12 quarterback for a few years now, a couple years now. And, uh, yeah, he, he probably was the biggest disappointment in this upset for Iowa State. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brock Purdy, a lot of people were saying this is the best quarterback in uh, in the conference. And, you know, he, he didn't look like the best quarterback in the in the Big 12. And, um, you know, that this is a lot of the guys that are doing game day that are that are talking him up. Just looks sloppy out there. Looked like he needed to kind of calm down. And, and I don't know what all the issues were surrounding it i mean it could just be rust because of the start of the season but i mean louisiana had a lot of rust to shake off too and they pulled off the upset i think it was the kickoff return for louisiana was like their first one since like i think the 90s caleb it was the first one in a long time if if my memory is serving me correctly and um so a lot like basically everything that could go wrong for iowa state did go wrong Bad quarterback, really, let's just call it what it is, sloppy quarterback play. Because watching him throw the ball, uh, I was not I was not as impressed with him as I was expecting to be. And then you have uh, some you know very rare events happening against you as well. So Iowa State obviously drops in the rankings uh, for that reason, you know, out, outside the 25. And uh, we'll see if they can fight their way back in. We've seen plenty of one-loss schools be able to fight back in. And, and I'm sure Iowa State has the talent to – do that but they got a lot of stuff they need to clean up before they do that yeah all right let's move along here to the next big 12 upset this time kansas state losing to arkansas state 35 31 arkansas state were two touchdown underdogs in this game as they threw the game winning touchdown pass with just 38 seconds to go Arkansas State's wide receiver Jonathan Adams Jr. had eight catches for 98 yards and three touchdowns. He was the one that scored that game-winning touchdown pass mm. or touchdown reception. And Arkansas State, uh, they used a couple different quarterbacks here. They threw five touchdown passes from three different players. One of those was a trick play, a wide receiver throwing the pass there. But uh, they used two different quarterbacks in this one, and they uh, they led themselves to victory. Yeah, big win against Kansas State. You know, Kansas State is a school that uh, Penn State fans don't exactly like have much love for, obviously. But um, I'm wondering too. You know, is, is this another case where Kansas State and, and we see this every year where uh, big schools drop these games where they just overlook an opponent? It just seems weird if they did that given the circumstances, but. I have a hard time believing that Kansas State one to one is not a better team than Arkansas State. So I I didn't watch this game, but I have to imagine that there there must have been some pretty bad mistakes along the way that made him suffer. And you know, good to good for Arkansas State too. Five touchdowns from three players. You like you already said with the one being the trick play. In these sort of games, when you have nothing to lose, break out the trick plays. Do something that's going to help you get the edge you need. They figured that out. They played to win the game, and they came home with the W. So good for Arkansas State, 
And, uh, you know, this is going to be a school that we're probably going to pay a little bit more attention to than we would have if Kansas State would have thumped them like we expected. Yeah, and I do wonder, Arkansas State already had a game under their belt, so maybe that helped them a little bit with rust, as this was Kansas State's first game. So, you know, something like that. But, yeah, we've seen Kansas State do things before. I think they were the only team to beat Oklahoma last year during the regular season. So Kansas State is definitely not, you know, one of just a bottom feeder in a Power 5 conference. They're, they're a good team. Right. All right, next up here, maybe the game of the weekend as UTSA, Texas at San Antonio, beats Texas State 51-48 in double overtime. Texas State scored a punt return touchdown with a minute and 16 to go. That tied the game, but their kicker, Alan Arona, missed the PAT. Then in double overtime, Arona again missed a 20-yard field goal. You know, so he's definitely going to be feeling like the GOAT this week. You know, missing the uh, PAT that would have won him in the game and a, and a field goal that would have at least pushed the game probably to triple overtime at the minimum. Their quarterback, however, Tyler Vitt, 26 at 39, 346 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. So he had a couple mistakes there. Meanwhile, on UTSA's side, their running back, Sincere McCormick, 29 carries, 197 yards, and a touchdown, while their quarterback, Frank Harris, had three rushing touchdowns. So he vultured a couple of the touchdowns from Sincere McCormick, or maybe he would have had four touchdowns in this game. So pretty good game, you know, back and forth, and unfortunate that a kicker had to blow it there for Texas State. I am sincerely impressed by UTSA. See what I mean? uh, 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 I'm, I'm just training my dad jokes right now, Caleb. You know, I, I mm-hmm. got to get them in uh, and start practicing. Caleb, is there any team sport with a better overtime program than college football? Uh, I don't think so. Meaning, it's just, it's straight up toughness. You know, who can outlast? And, and I love it. And so, you know, it definitely stinks that these kicks were missed, but the fact that it went to two overtimes uh, shows that both these teams were pretty evenly matched going back and forth 51 to 48. I mean, we're talking 99 points right there that were, that were put up on the scoreboard. I have to imagine that if you were watching this game, you were enjoying yourself. Uh, now, hopefully, um, well, you're definitely enjoying it if you weren't a fan of either of these teams. But uh, if you were a fan of even the losing side, hopefully you you see that game as a uh, as an opportunity. You, you see those growing points. You see, all right, we got to get the kicking game managed. But at least if you go down, you go down competing in a shootout. So uh, that's definitely something that that's definitely something to say. Yeah, definitely. I think Texas was Texas State may have I think I heard they were missing their starting quarterback for this game. I'm not sure if he was injured or for something else. So, you know, seems like Texas State may have pulled this one out if they had him ready for this game, but still good effort there if if Tyler Vitt is the backup quarterback. Yeah. All right. This Florida State game, Caleb. Talk me through that one. Yeah, we both picked Florida State, and it was looking good, but Georgia Tech completes the comeback to win 16-13. Not a very high-scoring game, unlike the last one. And this one was a long one, as Lightning delayed the game twice for a total of one hour and 48 minutes. And it was former Florida State recruit quarterback Jeff Sims who helped lead them to the comeback. He also helped to lead them to uh, an early deficit as he finished 24 of 35 for 277 yards, a touchdown, but two interceptions. And it feels like we've been hearing James Blackman's name for years now, ever since Jameis Winston left Florida State, and he's never really lived up to the hype, and that continues here. 24 of 43, 198 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. 
yeah, Florida State's just struggling to find an identity at quarterback. You're right, since Jameis Winston. And even before him, they they went through a, a pretty dry, long dry period. I hate lightning delays. They are so frustrating just because of, you know, you get the players out there playing the game. And I think the first lightning delay just delayed the start time. But even then, you know, players are in a mental space or they're preparing for the game. In a lot of cases, they've stretched, they've warmed up, and then they're told to go sit in the locker room and wait. It's it's just not good for the uh, it's just not good for the competitiveness of the game. It's a bummer. Um, this has to be a big bummer for Coach Norville. He was the it was his opening debut as the coach, coming from Memphis, who had a really impressive season last year, and uh, and just drops this game in. I won't call it Willie Taggart fashion, but it I mean it is disappointing for them. They need to they need to shore up some things, and the main thing was, and like you said, they need to shore up this whole quarterback issue because Blackman hasn't. Uh, DeAndre Francois, they talked him up and talked him up, but he couldn't stay healthy. So they have a lot of different issues that they need to secure there, and hopefully as recruiting under Norville continues, they'll be able to get what they need and uh, find some consistency at that position to hopefully lead them back to the playoffs eventually. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely better when the ACC has more than one good team. And right now, it's just Clemson. It was great as, you know, kind of as Florida, right after they hit their peak Florida State and started on the downhill, Florida State and Clemson had some good battles there before Clemson became this powerhouse that they are now. And it'll be good to see a team, whether it's Florida State, whether it's Miami, whether it's someone else, come up and be able to challenge Clemson for supremacy in the ACC here, hopefully within the next year or two. Yeah. So, Gail, we have Georgia Southern playing, and uh, I'll go ahead and take this one. Fighting against one of my favorite – I think this this is now going to take the cake for one of my favorite mascots. Georgia Southern survives Campbell's fighting camels. All I think of is like a Mameluke warrior from like the Crusades times just rolling into battle. But Georgia Southern – Survives the fight in Campbell's 27-26. Campbell scored with 15 seconds to go. They went for the win. I always think that's a good call to go for two there. And uh, they ended up dropping it. So they they lost the game. Caleb, I mean, come on, fighting Campbell's. Yeah, it just gets me thinking back to those, what are those, Geico commercials. What day is it? Hump day. (laughs) And it is hump day here. We're recording on Wednesday, so. Boom. Fits in perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Campbell was a was an underdog in this game. So uh-huh. yeah, especially as the underdog, I say you just go for two in this situation. You know, that's gonna be probably your best chance to win the game. You never know if you're gonna score a touch if it goes to overtime, if you're even gonna score a touchdown, if you're gonna have a chance just to kick a field goal to win the game or something like that. So yeah, go for two, go for the win. It's only 15 seconds to go, so can't, so Georgia Southern's probably not scoring in those last 15 seconds. And, uh, yeah, good good call to go for two. Unfortunately, they failed to execute, and uh, but hopefully that won't prevent them from doing that the next time they're in that situation. Absolutely. Now, next one up here, we got Tulane rallying past South Alabama 27-24. South Alabama led this game 24-6 in the third quarter, but Tulane – the green wave scoring three touchdowns in a row to, to win this game. You know, we said we saw South Alabama, they won their first game of the year. So 
maybe that's why they got out to this early lead. You know, uh, again, I'm pretty sure this is Tulane's first game of the year, so they didn't have the rest. South Alabama didn't have the same rest as Tulane did, so that probably helped them get out to that big lead. But Tulane overcame and rallied for that three-touchdown comeback victory. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, watching or looking at the score is very easy to think South Alabama is going to do it again. But, uh, yes, they, uh, the green wave came in and, uh, and was able to pull off that W. Next game, Caleb, we looked at Houston Baptist last week, and um, this week they're playing against Texas Tech, a school that should be able to take care of a school like Houston Baptist. But Houston Baptist showed any given Saturday. They survive this. Uh, they, I'm sorry, Texas Tech survives this game against Houston Baptist, but Houston Baptist really shows up, losing only 35 to 33. The Houston Baptist team, they were able to get a 96 yard drive. They went for two, which again is a decision that I typically really like, but they failed on the two point conversion. Both these teams, there were 600 yards of offense. Houston Baptist quarterback. How did we pr- say we were going to pronounce his last name? Zapp or Zappy? I like Zappy. Okay, we'll call him Zappy. Bailey Zappy, 30 for 49, 567 yards, four touchdowns. So another good day for him. On the running back side, um, Josh Stearns, five receptions, 209 yards. So getting the the bulk yardage of uh, Zappy's uh, passing, two touchdowns. And uh, the other wide receiver there, Jareth Stearns, 12 receptions. So that's a good check down sort of guy, 130 yards and a touchdown. I mean, Caleb, I'm going to be honest and say, I didn't know Houston Baptist was a school until this year, but so far they're putting up some pretty good stats. Yeah. We kind of dismissed them last week. We were like uh, North Texas, you know, they still won by about 20 points or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they probably didn't mind that Houston Baptist scored a few points on them, but you know, maybe Bailey Zappi here is, is a good quarterback, you know, 567 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, I think there was a third receiver that also had over 100 yards of offense, so he he has some weapons there. You know, you mentioned Josh Stearns and Jared Stearns, and maybe their brothers, so some good good hookups there for Houston Baptist, you know. And uh, in a season where not everyone's playing, maybe we'll be seeing some more of Houston Baptist. Yeah, and I will definitely be interested in watching them if we get any of those games. Kale, we got one more game, and uh, this is a game that we both disagreed on, and you picked correctly, so uh, I will allow you to go ahead and describe the game to us. Yeah, for the second straight year, Coastal Carolina has beat Kansas 38-23 in this one. And the Kansas, you know, just too many turnovers here. Three first-half turnovers that gave Coastal Carolina a pretty big lead and eventually turned out to be insurmountable for the for Kansas in this was a Les Miles debut, right? Um, or was he there last year? He was there last year. Yeah, okay, so so he still can't debut of of a uh, pandemic coaching. We'll yeah, say. so he still can't get past Coastal Carolina, who is a good team, but as we've noted before, Kansas is like the Rutgers of the of the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. So with this win, the Sun Belt finished three and zero versus the Big Twelve uh, this weekend. You know, so good weekend for Sunbelt Conference. I saw somewhere someone saying, you know, is the Sunbelt going to be able to push the AAC for the best conference, a group of five conference? 
And someone pointed out that the AAC is 3-0 and against the Sun Belt this year. So probably not quite there yet, but, you know, going 3-0 and against a Power 5 conference will give you some more cachet, will help a team like Appalachian State, who was in the Sun Belt conference and won that last year. You know, they don't have any Power 5 um, games on their schedule as they, you know, they lost a couple with all this COVID-related issues, unfortunately. But, you know, it still helps a conference like them. Maybe they get a, a couple better recruits out of this, something like that, for the whole conference. And, you know, maybe one day if, you know, the AAC, if they, for whatever reason, maybe they get poached a couple of teams in another expansion or if they just are bumped up and it turns out to be a Power 6 conference instead of a Power 5 conferences, you know, then maybe Sunbelt's the natural team to take over as in the group of in four, a four in that case. Unless they come up with another conference, conference yeah. a, a new group of five. But yeah, you're, you're right, Caleb. Um, it's cool to see Sunbelt teams do well, but I'm just shaking my head because Les Miles, I know that this is a rebuilding process, but you got to be able – like you, you can't lose to Coastal Carolina two years in a row for your program. This is not good for the rebuilding process that you want. Hopefully he's able to come out and, and get some good win this season. That way he can bring some recruits uh, back into Kansas this season. But we'll see what ends up happening. All right, Caleb. So we broke down the games this past week. They were, they were pretty good games. I am admittedly more excited about this upcoming games because even the primetime game Clemson first Wake Forest they tried to like sell it as if it was going to be this huge deal even though I think we all knew Clemson was going to wipe the floor with Wake Forest um but in the meantime I'm ready to talk about some Penn State news if you're ready yeah let's get into it okay so let's start with Pat Fryer news we talked about this last week about uh, a lot of rumors circulating that he was going to be opting out everybody's saying expect it expect it well guess what it never came Yes, thank goodness. He sent out some tweets today that made it sound like he is ready to go back and play, throw some good blocks, make some good catches. And so we are anticipating Pat Fryermuth, mini Gronk. I heard some other school try to say like baby Gronk for their tight end. I said, no, that's Pat Fryermuth. He's playing this season, Caleb. That is exciting news for the program. Yeah, this is great. And, yeah, it sounds like it has nothing really to do with uh, Big Ten coming back to play football, their announcement earlier today. It sounds like he was always planning on playing, Yeah, I guess, on Big Ten Network this morning. James Franklin was giving an interview, and Pat came in to James Franklin's office and said that they're right there on live TV that he's playing this year. So there's – he, he made sure there was no confusion and that he's telling everyone that he's playing this year and he's ready for his presumably his last year in Happy Valley. Yeah, and, you know, he, he said earlier that he wasn't going to opt out, and so it's just nice that he stuck by that. Now, one player who, who was up front with us and, and said that he was going to opt out, and none of us blame him for it because this guy's probably going to be, a, at the very least, a top 10 pick, but maybe a top 5, Micah Parsons. The question now is with Big Ten coming back, and and these games are going to be meaningful. This isn't spring ball where you know they're just playing the play. This is for a potential shot at the playoffs, and it's been said multiple times. This is probably James Franklin's most talented team, which seems crazy to me since we had Trace McSorley, Chris Godwin, and Saquon Barkley on the same team. But they're saying this is one of the, if not the most talented team on Penn State's roster. Is it possible Parsons opts back in? Caleb, you know some history behind uh, opting back in. So what's the what's the story with that? 
So before all this COVID related stuff, once you signed with an agent, you were done with college football. There was nothing you really could do to get back in there. You signed your agent, you know, you're starting making money that no longer makes you an amateur that makes you a professional. So you're going to the NFL draft, whether you're drafted or not, whether you make it or not, you know, you're done with college football, even if you have multiple years of eligibility left. And Micah Parsons has signed with an agent and he is apparently currently working out in California, getting ready for the NFL combine and all the pre-workout stuff that they're going to be doing this year. However, last year, Arizona State punter Michael Turk declared for the draft, and he did sign with an agent as well, and he was expected to get drafted, but he did not go. He went undrafted this year, so he, his team, and the university petitioned to have his uh, eligibility reinstated. He has two years of eligibility remaining, and it was granted by the um by college football, by the NCAA, you know, he, he said in his petition that it was due to COVID related issues. So that makes me think, and you know, other people think that even though you have signed with an agent, if these players want to come back and compete in the big 10 this season and compete for a national championship, compete for a big 10 championship, they may be allowed to. So I think, uh, the one article I was reading, there are seven, seven, uh, players from the big 10 that have, opted out and are planning on going to the NFL draft and at least five, maybe six of them have signed with an agent. So include that includes Sean Wade, who we mentioned earlier from Ohio state. So we'll see if any of those six or seven guys decide to come back and play with their programs or if, you know, most or if not all of them decide to just, you know, stick with what they're doing, stick with their workout plan and just head for the NFL draft next year. And hopefully if they do end up signing back or uh, hopefully if they do end up trying to get back in, the NCAA lets them. I personally feel, and, and Caleb, you may feel differently, or you may feel the same as me, but um, I feel like until you sign with a team, you're not a professional yet. So you can, you should still be able to go back in. And I've seen some people even go as far as to say, like, if you are projected a first-round pick and you go in, like, the fifth round because you get injured, you should be able to go back and play another year. I, I don't hate that either. Um, because you know you aren't raking in the millions yet being paid like a professional so let them play and it's not like these players are ruining the game i think a lot of these players have a lot of talent and they're trying to go out and do what's best for their family and it turns out to not go their way are are we going to punish them for that i'm not in love with that so yeah again hopefully if any of these players opt back in and i would love it if micah parsons would opt back in totally understand if he doesn't but would love if he did I'd love to see the NCAA also respond by saying, yeah, go ahead. You can play again. Yeah, I know in the MLB draft, I'm pretty sure you're allowed to go right out of high school in baseball. And if you're drafted maybe later than you expected, or maybe with a team you're not really sure of, you know, they don't really have the best track record or something like that of the position that you're, you're playing when you get drafted, you're allowed to not sign with that team and go play college baseball. I forget for how many years you have to play. I think it's at least two, maybe at least three and then reenter the draft after so many years of playing college ball. So maybe, uh, so you can definitely do it in other sports in the NHL when you're drafted 
Um, you don't have to sign a contract right away. And those NHL teams do have hold your rights for, you know, a number of years, five, six years, depending on when you're, how old you are when you're drafted. But if you don't sign with that, with the team that drafted you within that, that time period, then you're allowed to go be a free agent and sign with whatever team you want. So it happens in other leagues. So maybe it's something the NFL will consider in the future. Yeah, we'll find out for sure. Uh, now, Kelby also got a, a big commitment. This is going. This affects uh, the room that our friend of the show, Jordan Stout, is in the special teams room, the kicker club, the kicker and punter house, if you will. Uh, tell me about Gabe Nwosu. Yeah, five-star kicker slash punter Gabe Nwosu has committed to Penn State. He is in the class of 2021. He is ranked the number 15 kicker and the number 14 punter uh, on those recruiting lists as of right now. And he is really big for a kicker slash punter, six foot six and 220 pounds. That looks more like the profile, maybe of a middle linebacker or something like that, rather than a kicker or punter. So maybe it means he has a real strong leg, but if he's ranked down at 14 slash 15, maybe, you know, he needs to improve his accuracy a little bit and he will join fellow five-star kicking recruit Sander Sahedek. I hope I pronounced that right, but he was ranked the number one kicker in this draft class. So he definitely has someone to, uh, to live up to and push him real hard. If he wants to be the, the kicker in this for the foreseeable future for Penn state, um, Sander is just a kicking recruit. So maybe he can take the kicking duties while Nwosu takes over for the punter duties here in a, in a couple of years. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly find out. And, uh, no, Caleb, and we talked about this, and I brought up Jordan Stout again. I'm still going to be curious about what his role is going to be with the team. So I know that's a total uh, segue from recruits to actual players, but uh, I've been really appreciating seeing the the players getting excited. So seeing Jordan Stout get excited about the season has been a lot of fun. And I'm sure that with people like him, with Jake Penninger in that room, to be able to provide some mentorship and, and other players that are coming into the team, I think that we will be in store for seeing the special teams continue to be a strong spot for us. I mean, usually our first year with a kicker, not super great. If I recall correctly, I think it was Kelly who the season of the Orange Bowl and all the missed kick it, kicks in the Orange Bowl against Florida State. Uh, we had Sam Ficken who made me want to rip my hair out his first, uh, his first season, but the rest of his career absolutely loved him. We have, again, Penninger struggled a little bit in his first season, but he has grown. So hopefully the, these, uh, this legacy of, of growing into good quality kickers and hopefully Nwosu will be in a position where he can kind of sit and learn, learn or between him and Sahedic being able to sit and learn the special teams roles will, uh, will suit them well. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier that there are no fans at Beaver Stadium, and as far as I can tell, that's the plan still as of right now. But um, a couple days ago, um, this was filed uh, months ago, a couple of Western, especially I think it was the Western counties in Pennsylvania, filed a lawsuit against the state and against uh, Governor Wolf and his administration saying that he, you know, he overstepped his bounds, he went too far with the stay-at-home orders and things like that. And the counties won. They won this lawsuit. And one of the parts of this lawsuit is challenging the maximum of 250 people at an outdoor activity at an outdoor event. So 
Governor Wolf and his legal team have asked for a stay of the order for right now to keep things in place as they are until they can, you know, fight back on this. But it is something to monitor and maybe something where Pennsylvania is allowed to have more than 250 people per at an outdoor activity at an outdoor event in the near future. You know, high schools are lobbying for this. So parents and fans can go to high school football games. Um, I don't think any fans are allowed at Eagles or Steelers games at the moment, but maybe this would change that as well. So maybe not the first week of the season, which would um, obviously if that's against Ohio State would be a bummer, but maybe later in the season and maybe Penn State will push for that Ohio State game to be later in the season. Maybe uh, fans will be allowed, you know, hopefully at a reduced capacity, you know, not 100%, but, you know, the 20 to 25% that it seems like most schools are allowing that do allow fans at the moment, even that could definitely help Penn State in their home atmosphere. Yeah, um, there was the, the health director of the Lord Fairfax Health District, which is the health district that I live in, spoke to my school board. And whenever he spoke, he said, if you are outdoors and you are six feet away from each other, for the most part, any sort of, of droplets or particles are going to dissipate into the atmosphere. If you wear a mask, then you basically reduce the chances to 0%, not exactly 0%. And, and I don't remember what his exact wording was, but it's basically impossible or, or highly improbable to get it. Um, which makes me concerned for a couple reasons. One is having been to games in Beaver Stadium, there's not really like six feet of, of space. And so you're right. They're going to have to limit capacity because those stands get packed. Two, even if there are fans there, how many of them are going to, to wear masks? I, Caleb, I'm getting a little bit fed up with people saying it's a denial of their freedom. You know, I click my my seatbelt whenever I go driving because I know it keeps me safe. I wear my mask because I know it keeps other people safe until we have a treatment for this. So if we can find a way to do this safely, oh, man, that would be so awesome for the Ohio State game to have fans in the stadium. But again, everybody needs to do a part. Getting rid of COVID is going to be a community effort. And I feel like I'm like turning this into like a public health soapbox podcast, but it's just and maybe it's just because um, with baby strunk on the way, uh, I'm very uh, in tune with the fact that I want him to be healthy. So um, do your part, wear your mask, get your shots for, for flu and, uh, and everything else. And we'll get out of this faster together, but yeah. <sighs> All right. Diatribe over Caleb. Let's talk about our quarantine teams. We had a, uh, we had some pretty good games this weekend. Now, I unfortunately didn't get to see mine because Oklahoma's was pay-per-view. Ugh. But the good news was they had uh, some highlights, so I was able to see Spencer Rattler play a little bit. And uh, Spencer Rattler had a pretty good game. He only played the first half. He was 14 for 17, and he threw four touchdowns. Now, that being said, um, two of them were pretty impressive deep. One of them, there was a little bit of separation, not much. Another one, he hit a guy that that it was very clear they were playing Missouri State. There was nobody around him, and he took it to the house. Uh, a third touchdown was a swing pass to a running back that the, that the running back did all the work for. So saw a lot of good passes for him. Also saw some passes that said, yeah, this is definitely this kid's first game uh, really playing as, as the starter. You know, like really low pass and uh, here and there. But – 
He did a good job hitting receivers in stride overall. I think Oklahoma definitely has found that next great quarterback that they want. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, who was initially listed as, as a starter on the depth chart, but lost the battle to Rattler. He also went 14 for 17 before 157 yards, one touchdown, and he did throw an interception. In the run game, Seth McGowan was a uh, he was pretty good playing. He was nine carries, 61 yards with a touchdown. He did also have a 37-yard touchdown catch. Makes sense for Oklahoma that their running back has a lot of dual yards, and we're calculating those yards from scrimmage, saying you know he had 98. Uh, from the wide receiver court, it's very clear that they have been picking up where they left off as well. Charleston Rambo, four receptions, 80 yards, two touchdowns. Marvin Mims, three receptions, 80 yards, one touchdown. One of those tu- or that touchdown reception was one of those long passes. He did a good job getting the ball and taking off with it and delivering it into the house. Uh, some good plays by the defense. Running back, the Laren Turner yells, 42 yard interception. Always love to see that. The defense had four sacks. And uh, Deshaun White, the linebacker there, led the way with one and a half sacks. Didn't really hear too much from Trey Brown, one of the linebackers there, who I thought I would hear more about. But, uh, you know, I'm learning this team, so uh, we'll see what ends up happening. They have a bye week this week, and then they play Kansas State. I'm sure Kansas State would love to be able to uh, kind of break off or, you know, be able to break out after a disappointing loss this week. So I'm, I'm sure Kansas State's hoping for a, a better week this week and then prepare for Oklahoma. Uh, and Oklahoma is currently ranked number three in the AP, number three in the coaches. Some of that obviously a result of Big Ten teams being pulled out, but the main reason why they're ranked number three is because honestly, Caleb, every time I watch this offense, I get excited. Yeah, they're definitely really good. You mentioned the polls; they are number three, number three. It'll be interesting to see, especially if the, um, the Big Ten schedule comes out this weekend. If the Big Ten teams will go right back to where they were. You know, will Ohio State go right back to number two, assuming, you know, most of the top teams win this weekend, this upcoming weekend? Will Penn State go right back to number seven? Will Minnesota, Wisconsin, will they go right back to being ranked? Um, or will they, you know, be given a little bit of a punishment because they haven't played yet and they need to prove their ranking, you know, and while teams like Oklahoma and Clemson have already had the chance to prove that they are the top teams in the league. Right. Now, Caleb, I, I was just thinking about this. So we made our playoff predictions under the assumption that Big Ten wasn't going to be playing. So maybe next week we need to make a uh, revised plus Big Ten playoff picture. Because yeah, yeah. I, I do think one of those teams is going to be in there. But I still am, am convinced Oklahoma is going to be there too. And I, I really, really like what Lincoln Riley does with this offense, how exciting they make it. I mean, you win 48 nothing. Yes, it's Missouri State, but this is how you expect a top team to perform 48, nothing took care of business. Great play by, by your offense. Great play by your defense. So well done to the Sooners. Yeah. So let's move on to North Carolina, my quarantine uh, number 18, North Carolina pulls away late to beat Syracuse 31 to six. That score is a little misleading. It was pretty, pretty close game early on. It was only seven to six in the midway through the third quarter, and that was mainly due to special teams play. Uh, North Carolina really struggled here. It's something they're definitely going to have to improve on if they have any chance of beating the likes of Notre Dame and Clemson this season. Grayson Atkins, 
who their kicker who transferred in from Furman. Um, he was 80% over 80% at Furman last year while North Carolina's kickers were in the mid 60%. He missed a field goal, his, his first field goal attempt of the season, you know, so North Carolina fans got to be thinking same old, same old. They had a roughing the punter penalty that extended a Syracuse drive. They uh, fumbled on a on another punt. They fumbled the punt return, gave the ball right back to Syracuse in plus territory. Their defense stepped up on that one, you know, held them to a field goal, which is good, but can't be fumbling a punt, you know, inside your own 20-yard line. And finally, they did have a punt return touchdown, but that was unfortunately called back due to another penalty. So uh, special teams focus has definitely got to be the main play, main part of uh, practice here upcoming for North Carolina. As, uh, yeah, you can't have that many mistakes on on special teams play um on the other side Syracuse had uh, also had a penalty on a would-be punt return touchdown theirs I think if that guy the guy didn't uh, block in the back Syracuse I think he still would have scored anyways the penalty on North Carolina definitely prevented a guy from tackling so you know that could have you know that could have turned the game early but uh Syracuse or thankfully North Carolina did pull away late Sam Howell, definitely not his best game. 25 of 34, 295, a touchdown and two interceptions. One of the interceptions uh, was a nice play by the defensive back, reaching in to get the ball, to tip the ball up high and make an easy interception there for the linebacker. The other one just seemed like, you know, he knew the the touchdown pass was on the first drive for North Carolina, so he didn't do anything for a while. So he was kind of just pushing the ball deep and threw it into double coverage. And uh, Mm -hmm. Syracuse came away with the pick there on that one. Running back Michael Carter, seven carries, 78 yards. He was also involved in the passing game when he went six catches for 60 yards. So very efficient on both the ground and through the air. Uh, Javante Williams, he was the one who was stealing all the touchdowns. 14 carries, 57 yards, but three touchdowns there. And wide receiver Diami Brown, he had six catches for 94 yards. Uh, North Carolina has a little bit of a bit of a brother thing going on, like we saw with Houston Baptist earlier. Diami's Brown's uh, brother also plays wide receiver for North Carolina. He had a catcher too in this game. And Tamari Fox, who had two sacks on the defense, his brother also plays for the defense there. And I think he had a sack in this game as well. The defense overall had seven sacks, two each from Fox and Chas Surratt. So good work there by the defense to, you know, pretty much wreck the Syracuse offensive line and hold their quarterback in, in, you know, to six, you know, held the Syracuse offense to six points all game. So the defense still played well, despite giving them the easy three points on that fumbled punt return. And they also did have an interception of their own. Giovanni Biggers had a 26-yard interception. And with that win and with, the, you know, the Pac-12 teams, the Big Ten teams being left out, they moved up to number 12 in the AP poll and number 11 in the coaches poll. Good win for, for North Carolina there, too. And it's good that the defense played well. We we know the offense can play well. I'm mean, Sam Howell, by all accounts, is projected to be a first, a, a very potentially to be a first round, if not first half of the first round, quarterback prospect. So uh, it was important to see how the defense played here, and it looks like they played well against Syracuse. So you know that was definitely exciting for them. I didn't realize how much of that that family or how many family relations there were on there. I wonder if that's like a Mac Brown thing because I seem to recall. I I know that's like typically a, a college thing, but I seem to recall that being at, at Texas as well. Uh, yeah, so, the, uh, yeah, he had the brothers for quarterback at Texas. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, right after Colt McCoy. Or yeah, he had Colt McCoy and then Colt McCoy's brother. I forget right, Chase McCoy, something like that. But he didn't play, right? Uh, I think they tried to throw him in there, and he was clearly not as good. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, North Carolina does play next weekend. They play Charlotte. This is the first time North Carolina and Charlotte have ever met. Uh, North Carolina, as we'll get to later, will be pretty big favorites in that game. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte, I think they played pretty well this from what I heard this past weekend. Charlotte, though, I I have a, a current uh, a current appreciation toward their linebacker from last year, Alex Highsmith, played well Monday night for the Pittsburgh Steelers against the New York Giants. And uh, so it was – that was an exciting uh, W on the pro front. But, uh, Caleb, we have some very – we have a very important session here now. we got to make some picks. Yeah, let's get into who you got. Last week, Phil, you went 6-3. and three. That gives you 13-5 uh, and five through two weeks this season. I had an impressive week, 8-1, and one, and that puts me at 14-4 and four overall this season. So I have the one-game lead this week. Let's see if we'll switch again or if, you know, we'll get tired or what happens here. Hopefully we just have another good week of picks. We'll start yeah. it off with Navy at Tulane. Tulane being the eight-point favorite in this game. Phil, who you got? Okay, so first of all, I'm waiting for game day to call us up, Caleb, to, to make some picks here. I think we could definitely do better than CP3. But uh, mm-hmm. although he did they do some pretty good jobs with some upset picks. Uh, when it comes to Navy versus Tulane, Navy had a terrible starting performance against BYU, getting destroyed. I don't think that happens again. I know Tulane's the eight-point favorite, but I, I just see Navy being able to create some long, sustained running drives. I see them being very well prepared for this game. They're, they they have to be mad about being so embarrassed. So I think Navy comes in, and I think they win this game. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'm taking Navy, too. I'm going to give them a second chance. You know, I know they got blown out by BYU a couple weeks ago, but they had the, they had an off week now this past week, and they, they're preparing tough. As we said earlier, Tulane was down 24-6 before mounting a big comeback. If they get down by, you know, multiple touchdowns against Navy, I don't think they're coming back to something like that. So Tulane's got to be playing better early to have a chance against Navy, or Navy will probably just run out the clock on them, you know, with their run-heavy offense, as we've seen in the past. And, yeah, I'll take Navy in this one, give them one more chance. But if they if they don't win this one, especially if they lose big, then uh, it just might not be Navy's year. Yeah. This next game, Caleb, that we have coming up, we have Boston College up against Duke. Uh, Duke is a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. We know last week they dropped to Notre Dame in a pretty good game. So uh, that being said, Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'll take Duke in this one. Yeah, I thought they played pretty well. They got off to that early lead, you know, just 3 nothing. so they got the first points. And, you know, they're not as talented as Notre Dame is, but they held in there pretty, pretty long for most of the game. Notre Dame ended up winning by, what, 10 or 13, somewhere around there. But, uh, yeah, so good job. Good game by Duke last week, and I think they'll continue that and even get a little better this week against, against Boston College. Bill, who you got? Yeah, I have Duke, too. Like you said, I thought they played pretty well against Notre Dame. Notre Dame coming in with uh, a lot of expectations, and – Duke said, even though we can't beat them, we can at least be competitive with them here. And so playing against Boston College, I, I think that four and a half point spread, I would, or that four and a half point figure, I would definitely take an over on that, thinking they're going to win by at least a touchdown here. Now, who knows? Boston College could come into this game very well prepared, but you know what, Caleb? It's a new year. I already won the Who You Got series before, so I'm taking some riskier picks. And uh, so while I am picking Duke in this one, uh, we'll see down the line. I'm, I'm going to make some uh, some bold predictions here, okay? <laughs> yeah, right. Next All right. up. Uh, yeah. 
So what is next up, Caleb? Here we got number 23, Appalachian State at Marshall. State is the three-and-a-half point favorite in this game. Phil, who you got? I like Marshall's quarterback. I think he played really well last week, had some really nice throws, but I think Appalachian State is going to take this game. I think that they have an overall more complete team. They show time and time again. I mean, they, they've stayed relevant since that Michigan victory in one way or another. So I'm picking Appalachian State to win this game. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'll take App State too. Yeah, as you mentioned, Marshall's quarterback had a great start to his play or to his college career, but I think uh, this App State defense will give him a, a tougher look and you know make it a, much more difficult on him to complete some passes. You know, try to force him into some mistakes. And I will take Appalachian State on the road in this game. All right, I like it. Well, hey, Kelvin, as I'm looking at the rest of the picks here, I realized after I just made that statement, I was going to make bold picks. This week's picks weren't as bold as last week's, so that's a little bit of a disappointment. Sorry, listeners. Uh, but this next game, let's look at it. We have University of Central Florida, a three-point favorite against Georgia Tech. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I think this is the first game for UCF. And as we said from this last week, you know, that may give Georgia Tech a team that's already played an advantage in this game. So maybe Georgia Tech gets out to the early lead. They played well against Florida State in that comeback victory. But I'll take UCF in this game. You know, as you said, they're they're the favorite in this game. They're ranked number 14 going into this game, and I will take them to win. Phil, who you got? Yeah, at this point, I'm just going off based of, you know, what teams do I think are more complete? what teams have, have in more recent history been able to outplay. And uh, University of Central Florida has been playing really well. Even after Scott Frost left, they, they are still able to stay competitive in, in a lot of games. I like the three-point uh, three favorite. I like UCF. All right, next up we got Syracuse at number 25, Pitt. Pitt is a 22-point favorite in this game at home. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I mean, I have Pitt in this game, but I – I don't get the 22 points there. I, we know the Syracuse Pitt game has has some really tight ones, so I, I guess I just don't see Pitt covering that spread, but I do see them leaving with the W. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I think 22 is pretty big. That's close to what I think uh, North Carolina was favored by last week. You know, I think they were in the 20s as well against Syracuse, and I don't really think Pitt's a better team than North Carolina, as shown by them being ranked much higher than Pitt is. Mm -hmm. You know, Pitt had that big shutout win last week, but that was against Austin P, who's not a very good team. Syracuse will be a much tougher battle, but Pitt will still win this game. Yeah. All right, next game, Caleb. Uh, we have number 17, Miami, at number 18, Louisville. I got to be honest, I'm surprised Louisville is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. But, Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'm not sure if the odds makers have been able to decipher how to do home field advantage yet with no yeah. or limited fans. You know, two-and-a-half to three is about what you get for home field advantage. So, you know, so I don't know if that means they think these teams are neutral and they're just giving Louisville the home field advantage or if they think Louisville is just a tick better. And, you know, still accounting for some sort of home field advantage there. But um, I'm taking Miami in this game. You know, it should be a good game. The first top 25 matchup we've had all season. Miami played well against UAB last Thursday and got that victory. I thought Louisville played very well against Western Kentucky in their game on Saturday and Louisville's victory. But um, I'll take Miami in this one, not just because they're ranked one spot higher. I just think they're the better team in this game. Phil, who you got? Yeah, it, I mean, it's tough to pick against Derek King quarterback for Miami and um, 
Like I wrote Louisville initially, but I'm also like now that I'm like looking at Miami's roster and thinking about it. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a change as I'm on here. I'm gonna switch my pick from Louisville to Miami. I think Miami with Derek King at quarterback just has a more complete roster there. Having a good quarterback is essential in college football. So I think Miami's gonna take this game too, Kale. All right. Next up we got Wake Forest at North Carolina State, NC State again, also a two and a half point favorite in this game. Phil, who you got? Was not impressed by Wake Forest on Saturday, and you're playing, you know, you're playing Clemson, so it's it's tough to impress. But uh, I think NC State has what it what it takes to win this game. They're a two and a half point favorite. I do think they cover that, and I think NC State comes away with a win. Caleb, who you got? I'm going for the upset. You know, small upset here. Not the super dog as they pick on college football game day Saturday mornings. But I will take Wake Forest in this game. You know, they got the big test out of the way early with Clemson. You know, as you said, they didn't show really much fight in that game. But you know, you're going from Clemson to NC State. That's a huge step down in talent. A much easier proposition. A much better chance for Wake to win this game. And I think they'll pull it off. Okay. Well, Caleb, let's look at this next one here. We have Liberty at Western Kentucky, our one of our favorite teams, Western Kentucky. They are a 14-point favorite. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'll take Western Kentucky in this one. I didn't think they looked great against Louisville last week. You know, they got out to the early 7-0 lead, but then Louisville scored a bunch in a row to put that one away pretty easily. Western Kentucky, especially their pass defense, seems like they need to get some work on there with that. But, um, you know, going from a prolific passer there to Liberty's passing situation should make it a little easier. And I will take Western Kentucky in this game. Phil, who you got? I picked Western Kentucky last week, and uh, unfortunately they lost. But I'm sticking with them. I'm going to pick Western Kentucky as well. I think they're the better team in Liberty. And I don't know how much this is going to affect them. But outside of the football field, Liberty University has a lot of distractions going on right now, especially with uh, Jerry Falwell, the former uh, president or whatever resigning and all these sort of like, uh, I don't know if scandal is the right word or if there's a better word for it that's been emerging from there, but that has to be a distraction to people on campus. And uh, so I like Western Kentucky in this game too. I think that they will, I think they will clean up where they need to. I think they, they saw that they needed to, to polish a little bit more and, and I think they do it. I think they get it done. And I think the Hilltoppers take the W man. All right, and finally here we got Charlotte at number 12, North Carolina. North Carolina about a four-touchdown favorite in this game. Phil, who you got? Yeah, so uh, I obviously have North Carolina. I'm more interested in the spread, 27.5 points. I definitely think they cover the spread, too, against Charlotte. I know Charlotte is is one of those like quiet, okay teams, but I think Cowell – comes back and with a vengeance. I think he's frustrated after his first week performance. I think Mac Brown is going to coach the team up and, and teach them to not overlook schools like this. And I think that they that they win by, you know, I think they win by at, at least four touchdowns. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'm obviously taking North Carolina here too. You know, if they can clean up that special teams, you know, even 50%, you know, only making two mistakes instead of four, hopefully, you know, down to zero or one would be preferable. And I think North Carolina rolls here easily. You know, they ended up still winning that last game by 25, despite all the bad mistakes, two turnovers by Sam Howell with the interceptions. And Charlotte did push Appalachian State a little bit last week. 
Appalachian State was able to hold on for that victory. It's not a game we talked about, but you know, it definitely was not a decisive win for Appalachian State last week. So good on Charlotte for holding on, but I, I don't think they can do it two weeks in a row, North Carolina. Yeah. Well, Kel, we had some really exciting news today with Big Ten football coming back. And so, uh, you know, it seems like it was so long ago just from all the recapping. But, I mean, it, it's just so nice to know that this fall we're going to have some Big Ten ball. I was pretty bummed that I wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, hold my newborn son and, and watch a Penn State game. And I was going to have to wait till he was, oh, a whole two months older. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this season, man. I can't believe it's happening. Yeah, hopefully next week we'll have a schedule for you to discuss. We'll, be, we'll you know, we'll be picking Penn State's record, maybe going over some of their roster. You know, but obviously, even once the schedule comes out, we'll still have about a month to go before our games actually start. So that'll be the kind of disappointing part, having to wait another month still. You know, knowing that we we will get games at this point after waiting for so long, it'll feel next month maybe even the longest month waiting for football to Penn State football to come back but we're excited for it yeah and I mean like having the NFL games this past weekend plus college football it, there were a lot of nice distractions from from everything happening in the world and so knowing that we're going to get some good high quality Big Ten football back is is going to be very special Caleb any final words of wisdom before we sign off go Penn State we are <laughs> <laughs>